Well, hey there. Welcome to the Off the Beaten Path podcast. I'm Courtney Sweet. And I'm Jill Painter-Lopez. And we're back. Yay! <laughs> it's been a minute. We have a very special guest for you today, Shelly Smith. She is awesome, but we need to preface the fact that we interviewed her in the spring. It is now the summer. Uh, we've just been kind of busy. We have, and so has Shelly. We interviewed her, I believe, in May, right before uh, she was getting... Uh, all the crazy NBA schedules. So, um, but she's such an amazing person and storyteller, and just a good one, good one to have on. Yeah. So it's been, like I said, a good summer uh, with Shelly. Though we need to talk about the fact that right after we interviewed her, she had a little health scare. It was the Warriors um, Mother's Day weekend, I think. She did. She uh, she passed out in the locker room, and uh, you know she got a lot quickly attention and medical care, and then she was in the hospital for a few days. But as you know, nobody can stop Shelly Smith, and she's doing okay, and so. We are so glad to hear that and that she's uh, back working and producing some amazing features for ESPN. Oh, talk about that. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, but yes, we're really glad that Shelly is doing well. So for a couple hot topics before we get to Shelly's interview, Hall of Fame speeches for football. We just were talking about that before we went on air. What are your thoughts on them for the football? They always make me cry. I don't know about everybody else out there. I mean, a lot of things make me cry, so that's you know, kind of a standard rule for me. But I just love the guys. Um, I mean, it's just such a humbling moment for all of them and the stories that they tell. And LaDainian Tomlinson just talking for a, you know, I mean, it was just amazing to preaching togetherness and teamwork in America. And I hope our president was watching. Um, but not to put any political stuff out there, but I just, the speeches the podcast, were you great. Can. You can say what you want. <laughs> That's the point of it. Well, the, the speeches were great. How did, uh-huh. What did you think about them? I, I loved it. Um, I really enjoyed this class. I think there were some great personalities in there. And uh, I, I thought it was such a cool moment when Kurt Warner was talking and speaking about how, you know, no team's going to come into aisle seven of the grocery store or whatever at 3 a.m. looking for a quarterback and how... Dan Marino had an impact on his life. He's unloading Wheaties boxes, stocking them. Dan Marino's staring at him going, when are you going to get it together? And to see him tell that story with Dan sitting on the um, on the stage, it was, just, for me, that was a really cool moment to see how other athletes impact other athletes. Uh, I, I loved it. I thought, obviously, Jerry Jones was just Jerry. I mean, he just infused that good old Texas boy attitude, but just his love for football. I, I, I thought it was cool how he recognized his daughter, the impact that she's had, his family. And he, that was the sense of the night. It's just family and everybody that's gotten to, to that point. Uh, the speeches were quite long. Um, I kind of had to watch it in two settings, if I'm truly <laughs> honest with you. I don't know. Should they shorten them? Does it lose its impact? Absolutely, they should be shortened. And I'm one for impactful speeches. And I I mean, Terrell Davis and looking down the barrel of a gun and Jason Taylor with no male figure, or no father in his life, but all these male figures. And, and oh my gosh, they're, they're amazing. But look at what happened to Kurt Warner, the last speech. I mean, he has worked so hard in his career. I mean, his career has taken him on a roundabout, or, you know, very winding road that you thought he may never get there. And all these guys, such a well-deserved Hall of Fame class. Look at the very few, I mean, he was talking to hundreds of people, not thousands, and that is not fair to Kurt Warner. So as much as I love the speeches, I think they have to be shortened Mm -hmm. so that everybody in the stadium wants to stay there. I know if I was in Canton, I would stay for the whole thing, but that's just me, and I just think it's, I mean, even the Dallas Cowboys team left after Jerry Jones spoke, and that, to me, is not right. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting because, you know, on one hand, you're like, oh, I've worked my whole life for this and you should get the time. But you, you think of Oscar speeches. I mean, they get like two minutes. Sometimes if they stretch it to three or four or five, that's like the end of the world. The music's playing. And I think so it's what like, you're saying is we need some good interrupting music. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I thought it was cool at the bottom of the screen. They had, you know, um, Kurt Warner would like to thank and they had the people and, you know, I do think there should be some kind of limit on it. There, there are amazing stories, and it's awesome. But in the day and age in which we have social media, we have other outlets, somebody could actually take their speech and, and put it out there. We need to also say we are outside, so all the elements that you're hearing, um, <laughs> that's what's going on. But I, I, speaking of elements outside, that was the other thing. Being outside, um, we had a lot of issues this year. The prompter mm-hmm. kept going out from a production standpoint. I know sometimes you can't help things, but camera work was really shaky. It was odd. I just, I don't know. I, I, I love the speeches, but I think they could be shortened, and I think some of the production stuff needs to be tightened up a little bit. Um, no offense to the crew. I'm sure they did the best they could do, but it just wasn't set up, I think, for maybe if, if you put it in a theater or something like that, you can control a few things. But overall, it was a great night. It was just long. <laughs> it, was, it was long, for sure. Like you said, I mean, you love football, and you had to watch it in a couple of settings. Uh, I will admit I fell asleep during Kurt Warner's uh, speech for a couple of minutes, not because it wasn't good, but because it was, it was so long, and I had taped it, and I was watching on delay. Um, but I think also it, it was raining a little bit. I don't think that had that much of an effect. Maybe it did production-wise. Mm-hmm. But uh, certainly if they don't look at all the things that they could change to make it better, uh, you know, they may may lose some viewership on that. For me, it's like, I mean, I, I set my watch to it every year. I love watching uh-huh. it. But I know there's a lot of people that were probably tuned, tuned off and turned out yeah. after a certain amount of time. Yeah. Well, it was a great class, though. It really, really was. Thought of the interesting how I think Jerry's setting Jimmy Johnson up, you know, the banter back and forth there. Or not really banter because Jimmy was just sitting there. But, you know, just like that that energy in the room. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, I look forward to it as well. I was just really glad that I actually extended the record time on my DVR because if I hadn't done that, I would have missed Kurt Warner. You're That's a whole other thing, you know. So, um, and, and his wife's haircut is so cool. Yeah? I couldn't like pull it? that off. I, I couldn't pull it off. I yeah. just was like, wow. <laughs> She does have the, the short blonde hair. I, I interviewed them uh, once when he was on Dancing with the Stars, and uh, she's a beautiful. She's a beautiful later. Like Kurt Warner was on Dancing with the no, Stars. No, I knew yeah. that, but I didn't know you interviewed them. Oh yeah, yeah, That's cool. Yeah, I remember that. That was uh, just such an inspirational family for uh-huh. sure. All the kids. That's another thing. I loved Charles Davis's daughter when he was talking to her, and then she looks down at the cell phone and starts like, I mean, I think she's like one or two or whatever. She's texting, and starts looking, texting, and everybody <laughs> lost it. Like those are the moments that I love. They're yeah. obviously not scripted. You couldn't plan that if you tried, but it was hysterical. And was it LT's kid that had the candy, or was that Terrell Davis's kid was waving his Sour Patch Kids? Too. Yeah, was, <laughs> they're a fun, fun family. But that's the, that's the cool. Like, I mean, you you can't control kids, uh-huh. so you gotta gotta love that part. It just also reminds me too how much of an impact sports has. Right. The coaches they reference, the family members they reference, just all of that, the, the life lessons that they've learned. I just It's another night for me to remind me how much and why I love sports. It's not just because it's a game, but it's everything that goes along with it. And, yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. And how many of these guys had their Pop Warner coaches yeah. there and their high school coaches? I mean, people who were so instrumental in their lives in their formative years, I thought that was really cool yeah. that they, you know, stay in touch with them. And, and LT... TD, Jason Taylor, I mean, all these guys, if they didn't have football, if, if, if his high school coach didn't go walking by and he saw a tall, Jason, yep. skinny Jason Taylor mowing the lawn yep. in the neighborhood and asked him to come out for football, you know, every single player had a story like that, which I love, which is there was 
at least one instrumental thing that if it didn't happen, who knows what they would be uh-huh. doing? You know, they what could be it? selling insurance or be doctors or managing you know. that grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, I'm really excited because we have Shelly, but we do need to mention it as we talked about. She's had a couple things happen. Health scare, she's good. But she also did this amazing story for ESPN, and we want to talk about it because we didn't get to talk to her about it. Um, she's just an excellent reporter. She is, and, and Shelly has a unique way because she's so open and friendly and good at her job that she has a unique way of, of getting people to talk to her. And she found uh, former WNBA player Skylar LaRue, Rue, excuse me, um, on the streets of D.C. They had heard about it. They went out to find her. Um, they talked to her several times. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to think about when you're doing a story like this, there's going to be many times where you're not going to be able to find the person. Uh-huh. They don't have a permanent address. And so I just think, um, you know, the, the courage it took for her, I mean, there was, um, you know, that time when she last talked to her where she went to her where Sky was sleeping and she woke her up and, you know, said, Sky, Sky, and she sat down next to her. And I thought... How many people would be, you know, have that much human um, generosity and kindness while you're doing the story uh-huh. to sit down on the ground and get on her level while she's laying on the street and, and talk to her? And I thought, obviously, the conversation didn't go that well that day. And, uh, you know, Sky may be, may be dealing with some mental issues as well. Uh-huh. But um, I just thought that the humanness that Shelly always shows when she's reporting stories is, is, is almost second to none. So... Sky's story is that she played basketball in the ACC. Um, she also, I think, did she play overseas as well? She did. And then, and then she was drafted by the Sparks. She didn't make the team. Uh, was a had a promising career, but she also, as you mentioned, had, or they say, had some mental issues on the street. But you know, Shelly kept that. And what was it? Shamika Holdsclaw, I think, ran into her and, and tweeted something. And Shelly went to research the story. Mm-hmm. I just think the humanity that she shows the 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 way that she goes about dealing with every person, whether you're the NBA MVP or you're somebody who's, you know, who had a promising career and now you're on the street. She just, the respect that she has. And I think that I read, it took two years for the story. I mean, to me, that also speaks to ESPN and the value that they place on these kind of stories that it's like, we're willing to go the long haul with you because this is important. Mental, mental illness is a very important thing we should talk about in this country. People mm-hmm. are looked down upon or whatever and it's like they, they can't help that right um, right so they I think need. it was great that she was able to shine a light on this um but not in a patronizing way I don't think in a very I felt a humane way right right and we see these kind of stories too with Tom Rinaldi or we see them with Chris Connolly and the make-a-wish stories where they follow uh, somebody or child or an athlete um, and they follow them through a year or two. And like you said, their, their commitment to, to bringing you some of these stories is, is pretty amazing. And Shelly, I mean, she Steph Curry has so much respect for her. When she had her um, health scare in the, um, the Warriors locker room in the playoffs, he left the locker room because he knew if he started talking, everybody, I mean, those you know playoffs, there's so much media are just going to converge. And he walked in, and when he saw it was happening, walked right back out because he... You know, he wanted her to get the proper uh-huh. medical attention, and that's how much respect uh, he has for her. And again, we're so glad that um, that Shelly's okay, and she was, you know, back to work almost in, in no time, which is which is great. And she's also battled uh, breast cancer in in, um, 
uh, her life as well. So we, um, you know, are always hoping for good health for her. But um, I think that's another reason, um, you know, everything she's she's been through. Uh-huh. Um, she's always been a, a person that really enjoys people and athletes. And so she gets to combine her love of sports with bringing us interesting uh, human feature stories, whether it was the, um, you know, the blind uh, Jake Olson. Oh, yeah. Who, for Orange USC. Lutheran. So great. Uh, I mean, it was just such an awesome thing what, what the USC football team did for him and, and, and the way that she approached that story. So whether it's, whether it's you know, an amazing inspirational kid like Jake Olson or whether it's, uh, you know, Sky, Sky LaRue, um, who people want to help but doesn't want the help, she brings the reality of those stories to light. And I just, uh, I mean, it's, it's powerful. Well, I don't think we could say much more because we have Shelly, so we'll let her talk. How about that? And, and we had her at, at uh, the Southern California Sports Broadcasting Awards luncheon, so we have a little noise in the, in, in, yes. in the background. But, I mean, I, I love it. It was, uh, you know, it, that was a, a pretty, um, you know, awesome day for her to be speaking there. And, and I just love that she's being honored for her, for her work. And it was a women's, uh, you know, honoring uh, women in the, in the mm-hmm. industry. And so I think she's just one of the top ones. And we were lucky to get to listen to her that day. Yeah, it's cool. It's also, uh, I love seeing the support. I mean, some of the top brass at ESPN LA are women and they came to support her. And just the fact that she sat down with us with her busy schedule, right. uh, we just really appreciate it. We all have to support each other, but I really enjoyed chatting with her. I know you've known her for a while. It was the first time I had met her. So I think that we should just, without further ado, get to Shelly Smith. So we are now joined by Shelly Smith. Shelly, thank you so much. Like, it's so My nice to meet you. My pleasure. Anything for you, chicks. Well, Jill said so much about you, but I have to say, this isn't the first time I met you. And when your name comes up, everybody says, she's so nice. She's so supportive. She's so helpful. Like, that's what people in the industry say and outside. But mm, and fun. Well, yeah, so many things. fun. I want to know, was there somebody or people that did that for you? Just being nice? Help or you, help, be nice, uh, welcome you. You know, it was a different era. And so I guess I point to um, some of the men I worked with. There weren't really m- many women around. I mean, Leslie Visser came on later. I mean, we met later. But it's guys like Jack McCallum at Sports Illustrated who really taught me about being humble. Here, here he was, this big, famous writer, and he would give his courtside seat to the little intern. That was This is at Sports Illustrated. And... He was just so nice to everyone and humble and treated the interns like they were royalty. And, and the kid who got the seat, he was shaking as he walked to go sit in that seat. I, it was up in Portland. So I think that was my first indoctrination. And then the, some of the older men I worked with at Sports Illustrated, like Bill Johnson and Bill Knack, you know, they were just fun and they had the right attitude. And I think I just got the bug early and I just learned from the best on how you treat people and... And how to present yourself. And how did you start it as a sports writer? And I know a lot of people probably don't know that about you. Uh, Leslie Visser uh-huh. obviously did as well. How did that help your career starting uh, by learning to cover sports? As well, a yeah, and it was mostly at college. I covered everything. And I tell kids all the time, use your school. Go cover wrestling. Go cover gymnastics. And that's what I did. I learned how to cover all those things so that when I was ready to make it into um, a paying job... Uh, I had a basic knowledge of all these sports, so it was great. And when I crossed over into broadcasting, you know, I hated the broadcasters when I was growing up because we were the print. We were the snotty print people. And people were like, how you, of all people, made it into broadcasting. But I realized early 
that you got to be able to do everything. And I saw in the future that if I could do everything, I'm going to be more marketable. And that's really why I went after TV. And I was terrible at first. They, they, they gave me one story, and then they gave me 10, and then they gave me 20. And I did voice training, and I had to change the, my clothing. <laughs> and I, you know, but I... But you've always had good hair. Well, you well, not well. 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 <laughs> I guess I was bald for a while, but that's okay. I thought you were pretty bald. Thank you very much. Um, so I, I never thought about the transition much. I just kind of did it. And they gave me a lot of help, a lot of training, and I just kind of went after it. And Sports Illustrated said to me at one point, we think you're probably really good at this, so um, probably you should go to ESPN. And so I did. And I've done every, just about everything there, every show, every every sport you can imagine and I still have incredible passion for it because I get up every day and it's different and I love that and I love um, I love the variety I love like next week I will do 4 a.m. live shots okay I don't love those so much but <laughs> but it's um, it's cool because it's just me at 4 a.m. and I can talk about what I want and I don't have to share the stage with anyone so I'll get up and after two hours of sleep and do it and I like it, so I, as long as I can still be passionate about it, I'm going to keep doing it. You get, you're certainly versatile. Uh, do you think that um, so, some people obviously have such a niche, whether it's NBA or whatever, mm-hmm. and versatility with ESPN having gone through all the changes and stuff, how much do you think that helped you? I think that absolutely saved me, was my being versatile, because I... I, I submit story. I swear, story ideas are your best friend. You know, you can never, never submit too many story ideas. That's what will keep you in this business. And so, I submit them all the time. And E60 has picked up on them. And I'm doing a lot of work for them. And outside the lines. And um, even I pitched a story. I'm going to take two cancer. I don't know if they're survivors, but they're patients on Friday to to dinner. And they were. Uh, they're going to be the honorary Batgirls at the Dodgers game. It, not Mother's Day, but I think the day after whenever close. And so I pitched a story to ESPNW. I said, why don't, you know, I'm going to take them to dinner and show them the studios and, and I'll write about it because the winner, he had to write an essay. The winner chose the runner up as her guest, which is pretty cool to go to the Dodger game. So constantly looking for stories, constantly looking for angles, constantly looking for things that they teach us now at games to tell your viewers something that they, they can only know because you were there. And so I challenged my students when I was teaching at Nebraska, and this is my, one of my favorite stories. You know, do that. Give me, go to the basketball game and give me something that only your viewers would know because you were there. And my favorite one was the nuns sitting in the front row. They never made it on TV, but they went down and they interviewed these nuns who just loved it. It was women's basketball. And I said, that's perfect. That's what you got to give people because everything else is televised, even press conferences. Anybody can get on TV. So... My other favorite one was, was uh, I was at the Broncos, and then John Fox was up at the podium talking, and yeah, we love the Broncos, and we're Colorado girls. And over on the side, I look over, and here's Peyton Manning sitting to the left on the floor, because there were no seats, and he had his iPad, and he was watching morning practice. And so that's what, that was my story. I said, Peyton Manning, you know, this is how prepared he wants to be. This is how he spends every single moment he has preparing us for the Patriots AFC Championship game. Sitting on the floor, this Hall of Famer, yeah. future Hall of Famer, sitting on the floor watching practice tape on his iPad. And so those are the things I, I love finding and love 
delivering to viewers, and I think that's why they have me on at 4 in the morning. Because I'll go in the game, and I'll see Steph Curry. They lose the first game last year in the finals. And Steph's sitting there reading, and he's got a towel over his head. And I'm like, what's he reading? You know, I'm thinking it's some mm-hmm. the Bible or something. So I go over, and I just kind of sidle up to him. And that's where relationships come yes. in. And so you're not bugging him. And I said, what, you know, what are you reading? And he goes, my fan mail. And I said, why are you reading your fan mail? He goes, because it makes me happy. And they had just lost the game. So that was my morning hit. Those are the things I love. I love finding out things that nobody else knows and then being able to deliver them. Think about how many reporters were in that locker room who either didn't have the relationship with him to be able to go up and ask him since he's got the Mm -hmm. towel over his head. That means, like, you know, probably don't come over and talk to me, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I I think it's because my other favorite one was when Durant made his first uh, game against the Thunder at Golden State. I was up there, and uh, we found out, course of interviewing, that Draymond said that Steve Kerr had called the first play for Steph to take the shot. But Draymond said, and I went up to him and I said, well, how come he didn't? He goes, well, because I said, no, KD's taking the first (laughs) shot. We're going to show them that he's on our team now. He's our guy. And he goes, so I pass it to KD. And so then I went to Steph. I said, were you upset that... KD took the first shot, and he said, yeah, selfish bastard. So, and they let me say that on air, which was awesome. Wow, so, you've come far. Yeah. So, it, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I really live for and, and I love doing, and don't mind working those long hours because I can do it. What was it like for you, though, being on the other side of that and being the story? When was... When, 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 with your cancer. Did I get in trouble? Oh, no, 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 like, no, no. Not that I know. I'm sorry. With, you never with, want to be on Deadspin, <laughs> put it that way. Right. Um, no, no, no. Um, you know, I never thought it would it would take off like it did. And I, I, had to, I waited six months until October 1st to announce because I just wasn't sure what the process was going to be. And I had to get a plan in place before I felt comfortable. And I knew I had a pretty winnable battle. And I went back and forth, and ESPN knew, but they never thought about putting anything out. And this was really pretty new for mm-hmm. us, especially with a female on air. I think I was the first, actually. And so I remember talking to my daughter the night before, saying, should I tweet about it? Should I not tweet about it? I'm like, ah, I'll do it. Nobody's going to pay attention anyway. <laughs> so I remember I was at Timberwolves, and I did, and all of a sudden I had to turn my phone off because every time I got a tweet, it was like, ding, 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 ding. And, and it just took off in a way that, I never expected, but I also said if I'm going to talk, if I'm going to talk the talk, I'm going to walk the walk. So I have done every every event that someone's asked me to do that I can um, to help spread the importance of early detection. And I know Jill, you've been great with your walks, and um, and you've helped me out with that too. And I yeah, appreciate that. No, yeah. we have to we have to help each other. And, mm-hmm. and we learned today that. Um, one of the members here is going through the battle. Mm-hmm. So I have really um, tried to step up my game as far as early detection and encouraging people to get mammograms. And I am, you know, happily say I'll have tests every six months, um, but I'm cancer-free. So, yay. Yeah. yay. And not everybody, those women for the MLB, you know, the honorary back girl, reading those stories yeah. is awful. Touching. Yeah. And one of them one of the ones who won for the Cubs, she died like last week. So oh. it's just, it's just, so many people have it, had it so much worse than I did. I was very blessed. Yeah. You, you made the, the decision to um, go on the air um, without a wig and That's you awesome. were the first, yeah. first one to do that. Yeah. And we say it, it was, the response was amazing. What was that experience like making that decision and, and doing it and mm-hmm. the reaction that you got? Well, you know, the first thing when the oncologist said, you're going to lose your hair. And I was, I was like, but I'm in TV. 
He goes, I know that. He said, it'll grow back. And I'm like, but I'm in TV. You're not hearing me. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I think it would be a, he goes, first of all, you have a good head. You have a good round head, so you're not going to look ugly. I'm like, okay, that's not that reassuring. But he said, um, he goes, I think you will empower a lot of women. There should be no stigma to losing your hair because of cancer. And he goes, I think you, this will make great strides in doing that. And then he also said, and I want you to write on your forehead, made by Dr. Chan. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. But, so I did, and it was, it, was, um, it was empowering. And the best part was I was on the beach at Waikiki when I made my first debut. And there next to me was um, a woman from the NFL Network whose hair was just blowing all over, sticking to her lipstick, and she couldn't, and she couldn't, she could hardly talk, and they had to re- keep redoing her live shots, and, and I just said, you know, this is the first time in my career I haven't had to worry about my hair. Maybe that's not so bad after No, all. it was. I, and, and now I have really short hair, and I don't have to worry about the wind. Uh-huh. And I, when I have my 4 a.m. live shots, I can get up at 3.20 and then just kind of do this and rub my fingers through my hair. So a lot of good has come out of something really crummy, and that's what I think the mm-hmm. key to life is. When crummy things happen, make something good happen. And mm-hmm. I've been very lucky. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer, they discovered the melanoma on my back, which would have killed me in two years. So breast cancer actually saved my life. So um, everything happens for a reason, right? Yeah. yeah, and I've met so many great people, and I'm doing a lot of work for the American Cancer Society and the V Foundation, and it's so rewarding to do that. I loved reading about all the charity work that you do. How did your um, the story you did on the uh, AIDS and athletes impact the charity work that you do now? Well, yeah, I, I when Magic Johnson announced um, that he had HIV, I remember thinking we're going to watch him die. And it was one of the saddest days ever. I remember sitting with Mike Downey and just sobbing. And to then I started volunteering for his newsletter. And since then, we have learned so much. And then I did a story on AIDS and athletes. And Magic wasn't very cooperative, but that's okay. (laughs) He didn't have to be. Um, But that's what is great about ESPN in so many ways, because you can make a difference in social issues and cultural issues and we've done a lot of topics like that you know we've done mental illness I just finished an E60 story on a woman who played in the WNBA who's homeless and she has um, mental illness and it's really really sad but we're bringing awareness to a lot of things and that's what you know I love the X's and O's and the running and gunning for ESPN but I really enjoy the deep stories that can have an impact on someone's life Speaking of, of impact, uh, one of the big stories you were sort of, you know, became the story a little bit as well was your relationship with Kobe Bryant over the years. Yes. And, and what what was that like for you from from start to finish, and then <laughs> and then, you know, when it came into fruition, when he learned about your cancer mm-hmm. and that conversation, what what was that process? It like? was it was very interesting. Um, it was not comfortable. Mm-hmm. We didn't speak for eleven years, and it started because I covered his rape trial right. and. It wasn't anything I did other than my job. He just associated me with that. And there was one day when we did a story, um, and we didn't, Jim Gray, it's a long, sorted story. But anyway, he got really mad at me because I had did a, I did a story saying his teammates won't trust him now because he basically ratted out Shaq to the police. And his t- he'll walk into a bus or a locker room and everyone's going to be quiet. Nobody's going to trust him because it was an unwritten locker room rule. And he was so upset with me. He said he'd never talk to me again. 
and he didn't for 11 years, but we just went around it, and we had someone else interview him, and I would just put it in my story. Mm-hmm. But it, it was interesting to watch him, like, during the NBA Finals, when when you ask a question, they put you on camera, and then they put him on camera, and his facial reactions. I remember Bill Plaschke saying, oh, we love it when you ask Kobe questions, <laughs> because his face just gets all contorted, and he does this, and... And um, and I we used to I used to have to avoid him, you know. I just didn't want to be confrontational. And everyone said, well, you know, why don't you reach out? To him? I said, look, I'm not the one that made the decision not to talk to me. So finally, it comes down to media day, and uh, what two years ago? Yeah, and I I didn't know he was going to talk to me. I said to Sherry Greenberg, my producer, I said, you, you know, you're going to have to get in the chair and talk to him. And she goes, no, I think maybe it might it might. Uh, be the right time and then Allie came over and she said yeah he'll do it and I was like are you serious does he know it's me <laughs> I said you know I have short hair now I mean maybe he doesn't know it's me and she goes no and he came over and he gave me the biggest hug and our camera everyone was taking pictures because nobody all the news media not many people in the public knew he didn't talk to me but the news they're all taking pictures they're like look Kobe's hugging Shelly and it, it was it was it was nice I said to him you know um how are your children? You know, I've missed talking with you. And he's and he and I said, thank you for talking with me. And he said, there are things in life that are way bigger than what we've been through. And so that, that meant a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of screwed it up by talking to the New York Post about six months later, saying I thought it was a fraud. But uh, you had that moment. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I just I, you heard me today. I get myself in trouble. But I had heard that he was he was trying you know he was trying to be so nice to everyone. And I yeah yeah and and uh, I think it was Brez said to Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson asked him how how's Kobe and he goes oh he's so nice to everyone he's hugging everyone and and Phil apparently said but he's still an asshole right and so I was like okay that's a that's a good enough reason but. Yeah. I haven't talked to him since, so I don't know if, you know, he sees everything, so I'm sure he saw that article. But, yeah. you know, he really has sort of backed it up. He really has come around, and I think he's, I don't know that he's genuine because I don't know him like that, but he really has been consistent with the way he's treating people. So, And he wasn't, as you guys know. He was not at all. But um, it was an interesting chapter, and I, I told Roland Lazenby all this, and, and he wrote about it in his book, and that's been the only time I've written something. I asked Kobe if he would do a, an interview with me and talk about the rift between us, and he said no. He didn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame him, because what do we do? Right. We would put up all those pictures from Vail, you know, and his mugshot, and that's what that's what we would do. So I don't blame him at all for not doing that. I would have been, it would have been interesting, but I don't blame him. Yeah, he doesn't like to go back to Colorado. No. Like the Colorado. Like, like you too. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Right. His, his Colorado is, yeah, is different. different. Well, you mentioned so. the post and you're, you know, all over LA. What is it like to report out of LA? Is it really tough? Um, the traffic makes it really <laughs> tough. So when they say Jeff Fisher just got fired, how fast can you get to Thousand Oaks? And I said, not fast. And that's when she wishes she had stayed over with me in the that's valley. Right. Ah. <laughs> So, um, yeah. you know, L.A. is always filled with drama. There's always something going on at USC or the Lakers, you know, and that makes it really fun to cover. Even when they're bad, they're still fun to cover. So it's nice to have, you know, the West Coast represented. I, I, I'm, I feel honored to be able to represent the West Coast. And so it's, it's not harder. It's just Bristol doesn't understand that the traffic controls everything. And they were like, I was at UCLA, and they were like, can you make it from UCLA 
to the LAPC, the studio, do it in time for the 3 o'clock? I was like, no, that'll never happen. <laughs> Unless I had Kobe's helicopter. There you go. Yeah. You're like, but it's only 10 miles. I know. They're like, yeah. You don't need to pull up, like, you know, Google Maps or Waze and screenshot. Right. See all this red, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And yeah. when we change, we rotate bosses a lot, so we have to inform them mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not easy. Shelly, your daughter Dylan is is uh, in the industry as well. What has that meant to you to see her, uh, you know, behind camera, getting into this industry and having much success? She she is she's getting out now though. She has decided that she she may get back. She may do some more, but NFL Network has reorganized a little bit, so she um, is moving into. She wants to do something to help people, and that's, oh, I understand that. I said she's having a midlife crisis at age thirty one, but. She's figuring it out, but it was it was really fun to have her in the business. And we were very competitive over story ideas, over sources, over, you know, things that we were doing, like, you can't tell them this, don't tell them that, and uh, I dibs this, it's my story, and... But it was it was nice. It was really good, and I and I realized that she grew, the way she grew up with me, I took her to a lot of places, that she... It really rubbed off on her and she still loves the business she loves the chase she loves the the things I love about it it just wasn't presenting itself to her right away and she's very impatient so she she wants to do the you know the stuff I'm doing and I'm like look it took me a long time to get here you know I've been at this for 30 years so um but she's a wonderful kid and she has a beautiful heart and I know she'll find something really special but it was we we really did have a lot of fun we'd go out to Rams camp and take our dogs and and um you know, she would be doing stuff for NFL, and I, we were like, then we would stay in the same hotel, and like, you know, you can't use this, you can't use that. <laughs> I'm like, can you ask Steve White if he'll, you know? So it was fun. It was fun. It was really fun. With how has your relationship changed after, um, you know, going through? Because you guys mm-hmm. went through. I know she took some time off work to help you. Yeah, when you were going through. Treatment. She was. What, what was that like? She was amazing. She it really struck her hard. Harder than anyone. Even my biggest fear was telling my parents, but I told her right away, and she drove home right away. And um, it was just really hard for her to see me going through the, the changes. She went with me when I shaved my head, and she was relieved that she didn't have to go to my first chemo with me because I didn't let anybody in. So, but she cooked and she was around, and um, she was scared, and she then ultimately was very proud of me for the way. Uh, I handled it and got through it, but we did spend so much time together that we deemed Mother's Day that year stay away from me day because we were so sick of one another. But she went anywhere. She went to Hawaii with me. She went to the Emmys in New York, and and uh, we made it. We made it fun, you know. For something so crummy, we made it fun. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of community that stepped up. Um, how did Robin Roberts help you? That time. Robin was really one of the first people I told. She was out here for the ESPYs, and I said to her publicist, I said, would she consider doing a, um, an interview with me? And she said, absolutely. And so Robin cried during the interview because her treatment was so much worse than mine. And I, But I didn't know this at the time. I didn't know what I was facing as far as treatment. So it kind of scared me because she had to have stem cell transplants and our bone marrow transplants and... And she cried, and it really did kind of scare me, but it also let me know that I could get through anything because she got through it, and she's probably one of the strongest women I know because she had to go through it twice. And 
the fact that she would give me some time um, before she had to do something. I don't know what she was doing. But she was, she was really a, uh, a person of strength for me. And that was really early on. This was July, and I had just found out in May. And I hadn't really been public because I just didn't know what I was facing yet. It took a while. That's the hardest part is all the tests, trying to find out. You know, you get a bone scan. You get a brain scan, and you don't know when they take forever to tell you, and it's agonizing. Can't even imagine. Yeah. And, and Holly Rowe as well. And Holly you guys Rowe. both have gone through it uh, publicly and done so much yeah. for so many people. What, what, uh, how is that kind of strengthened well, your relationship? People think Holly and I are the same person anyway. <laughs> You know, because we're kind of built the same, and we do the same work. It's Holly, Shelly. And so I get tweets all the time, you were great at the Women's Final Four. I'm like, thank you, and I wasn't at the Women's Final Four. But we love it. We call ourselves sisters from a different mister. Okay. And, um, but then, so I, I lose my hair, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is the, the comparisons are going to stop now, because I'm, well, then she loses her hair. She has, she has a, um, melanoma. And she didn't think she was going to lose her hair, but she's had a tough go. She, yeah. And we did, uh, we presented at the College Football Awards, and um, she said, you know, that she worked all the way through her treatments. And I'm like, are you kidding? I laid on the couch and watched all seven seasons of The West Wing. I had, I want to, you know, I'm taking this time to, I had a lot of infections, so I, I wasn't just loafing. But she's been a tremendous person of support, too, and we really support one another, and we become really good friends. And like I say, something, cr- something great comes out of something crummy. That, that's one of them. And she's, she's battling. She's really battling. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been nice, to, nice to see the support that you guys have for each other. And yeah. That, and that the community in general, particularly for her, the women's basketball community mm-hmm. and, and, and things. Um, yeah. one, one thing a lot of people don't know about you is you're a professor, a teacher. I at am. UNC. She sits uh, up very tall. I know. <laughs> what, uh, um, I told him to quit calling me professor. Oh, yeah. I like Professor you do? Smith. Oh, I know. I just that's my dad. Oh, okay. Um, it's, <laughs> What's that? What's I that had like no you? idea what I was doing. Jay Adande left to go run Northwestern mm-hmm. and asked me if I would take over the class. And I said, because I had spoken to his class and I had uh, substituted. But I'm like, I don't, I have no idea. And it was two days before the semester started. So they were like, fill out the syllabus. <sighs> okay. So I went in and I, and I spent most of the time just talking and telling stories, and uh, it was actually very rewarding. We had um, a mini, I called it mouth madness, it was debates, sort of like first take, you know, and so they debated each other. And, it's a good show name. Yeah, Mouth, mouth Madness, madness yeah. Better, and uh, I just kind of felt my way through it, and I, the hardest part was getting Monday nights off, because my schedule is always, if somebody wins or somebody loses, where do you have to go? And the, my favorite was... And I only missed, like, one class, but I was at Dodger Stadium for a playoff. It was a Monday night, and it was, I was giving the midterm, and I had to, but I had to give them instructions. And I, it was, came, class started at 6.30, and I'm leaving Dodger Stadium, and you know what it's like to leave Dodger Stadium. You're stuck. Anywhere. So I'm like, oh, my God, i got to Skype in. And I, but I'm driving, and I can't get off to the side. Uh. So I just Skyped on my iPad from the car. Does As that I'm driving, work? yeah. Wow. And I was like, you know, if I get in a wreck, you guys, here's where I am. Yeah, you know. And so I actually skyped the class from my car, and was able to give them a midterm. And then I pulled over, but um, <laughs> it was so stressful to try to get Monday nights off. But I thought, you know, it was so rewarding. And they, the kids loved the class, and they said it was the best class they ever took. I think it's because they all got A's, because um, I graded on um, 
Improvement. Oh, improvement. Improvement. So they were terrible. They they were terrible. They didn't. I, I that would get columns that looked like Twitter feeds. Low baseline. Yeah. And then, and then they would capitalize every letter just for emphasis and, and six exclamation points. I'm like, you, you can't. You need to read the AP style book. So they got better. And so anybody who got better, I just said, you know, I'm going to give you an A. So that's great. So I'm going to do it again. And now I'm teaching um, a second class that they talked me into. Um, it's a more of a performance class, a TV interviewing type deal. So, and I said, well, I don't think I can do another night. Monday nights were so stressful. They go, well, we just, we made it on Monday afternoon. So you can just come. I was like, oh, okay, back all right. Back. Yeah, <laughs> so I would always go in early anyway, so it should work out. But you're the same spot for, yeah. for these interviews. Exactly. You know, and it's fun. Skills, what's the most important thing you tell them about conducting a successful interview? Well, you know, you've done this. It's, it's, <laughs> it's asking questions that can't be answered with a yes or no. It's doing as much preparation as you can before you go into the interview. Um, asking questions you don't know the answer to. You don't have to know the answers. And it's not about the question. It's not about you. It's about the answer. And a lot of these kids are still stuck in you knows and, and just bad grammar. And so remember that your, your question is going to be on camera, most likely, if you're in TV. So you have to sound good. But, uh, you know, Ramona Shelburne still is one of the best interviewers I've ever, because she's so friendly and she gets things out of people that just amaze me because she's so casual. She's like, hey, what's up? How's it going? And, and they don't even realize They don't. It, right? They don't. And suddenly they're <laughs> spilling their life story to and her. And she's writing a story as they're yeah. talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's, and I, I've learned a lot from her because I you know, it was a little more formal because it's TV, but mm-hmm. I realize you don't have to be. You should make your subject as comfortable as possible. Right. But you know that. You do that all the time. It's good to get tips from everybody. Yeah. No, yeah, I to, never, to, stop, yeah. never stop like learning. Yeah. Said you were talking about Ramona. I see, mm-hmm. I see her in a locker room, and she's got her purse over her shoulder, yeah. and she's like very casual, and yeah. like just the little tape recorder that you can barely. You yeah, know, it's there, but it's like not like in your right. face. Yeah. So you she's feel great. Conversational, she's, and she gets amazing things from people. So I just am always marvel at what people tell her. You know. Mm-hmm. What is uh, what's next for you? Well, uh, I made it through the last round of layoffs, which is always a good thing. Um, I'm going to do a lot more of E60 and a lot more OTL. Wonderful. Um, Are we going to get that Raiders book? Oh, why did you have to bring that up? <laughs> See, now you're I don't know the answer to the I question, know. and I want to know the answer. Oh, everybody wants me to finish it. I saw Steve Springer here today. I, he left early because I was going to corner him to see if he'd maybe want to help me and team team write it. He's in the news. Or, he told you know. me he's working on three books right now. I know. He's so. amazing. So you won't feel so bad with, with, with your right. work, right? Does right. that make you feel Well, bad? I have a first draft, but then <laughs> oh, Al right. died, so I have to change all that he yeah. is to he was. And there's a lot more that I need, more research I need to do now. And a lot more people who will talk now that he's dead because I had a hard time getting people to talk. But maybe, maybe. It was just so hard. It was really, really hard. But... Um, maybe. Okay. Maybe. We'll maybe. take the maybe. We'll yeah. With that. <laughs> yeah. Do you enjoy writing books? Because you've had no. Three, seven, no. <laughs> Why do you do it? <laughs> it was hard. It's really hard. I always had a goal. I wanted to write a book, and um, I just I never. Keyshawn was the first one, okay. so that was it was like pulling teeth because they were one in fifteen that year, and he didn't want to talk. And so I would just go to his house and listen on, in on his phone conversations, and that's where most of the book came from. But that was, that was hard. But it was easier because it was a, 
uh, chronological mm-hmm. deal. And then, then I wrote a book with Herm Edwards, which was great. Thank you. <laughs> Good luck. She's going through breast cancer treatment. Yeah, wow. so that was the wife of one of our board members. Anyway, um, Herm Edwards was great because he already had a lot of stuff written out on his life lessons, and so I just had to flesh it out. And then the third one was with a, a woman sports psychologist, and it was a lot of things that my daughter had gone through playing soccer with her and her dad being um, tough on her. He's think LeVar Ball. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was it was tough, and so. Well, you set the bar. Yeah, it was it was really Hi, tough. So we we wrote this book so I could help her, and that's Great. why I did it. Yeah. And so, but this Al book, it was it was still the hardest thing I've ever done, and I got the first draft done, and it just it needed to be written. It was like a timeline, but you know, uh, my editor was Steve Wolf, who's brilliant, and he said you need to go back and write it. I was like, go back. I don't know if I can do this. It's, it's really hard. But I think someday I will, I will get it done. It, it, I think it needs to be read. It needs to be yeah. documented, his career. I think so. Amy Trask, maybe? Maybe, you know. Yeah, Amy wrote a book. And um, she might, yeah, she might talk with me now that he's gone. Love, Amy. So. I just wanted to mention, as Shelley was saying some goodbyes, she was just uh, honored at the Southern California uh, Sports Broadcasters Luncheon today, and congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great, and I don't know why I haven't been a member. I've only lived here 30 years, but um, it's a great group and, and great questions from people, and I love that they were young and old and, um, mm-hmm. all, and bald. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your, your time today. We really appreciate it. You're always so giving of your wow. time to everyone. And, and You're so nice to ask. I'm so proud of you, too. And thank she's you. Courtney, the I know. She, like, from the moment that I met her, you know, talk about just a genuine person. Um, mm-hmm. She was doing features, and our boss was like, Courtney, just go shadow Jill. And it was, it was never like, oh, there's another woman. There's somebody's competing. It was yeah. exactly like what you do sat down with me at a computer and said, this is what I do, how you do this, how you do this. And I never take that for granted because it's not we always have to the help. Case. We have to help one another, you yeah, know. And I think generally women are pretty good in mm-hmm. this business. There are some who are not. Right. But generally I think we all pull for one another and cheer each other on. And I was so, like, proud when you decided to try TV. You know, that's just such a brave thing to do and... You should never stop learning and never start challenge, stop challenging yourself. Step outside the box. It's hard to do because we get we get settled and we get we like what we're doing and change sometimes is difficult. But you've done it and I'm really proud. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm really we, proud of we you. We talk all the time about how we're forever constantly learning and mm-hmm. you know the more reps you get, the you know. Yeah, no, I I was in, in jeopardy of of losing my job a few years ago because I they said I wasn't good at live shots and I said, are you just trying to push me out or? Am I? Do I have a chance? And they said, No, you have a chance. And they sent me to a talent coach in, in Dallas, and that's where he said, You just got to be yourself. And that it was like magic. And mm-hmm. I was really thankful that they gave me that opportunity to learn. So never stop learning. And I, mm-hmm. I call them all the time, like, How would you handle this? And how would you handle that? And I got better. And they were amazed. I don't think they thought I would get better, but I did. And think about that, how many years you were into your career yeah. as a reporter. I'm sure there would be some people who would be like, hey, I've been doing this for 20 years or whatever, and I know what I'm doing. And right? there, there were. And you were open yeah. to that. Yeah, there, there so were that, others who, who weren't so open to it. But I said, you know what, um, 
I, I, because I had gotten so nervous and I would, I would freeze up and I was stiff and I was so afraid of what I was doing that I forgot that I should just be me. Mm-hmm. It's and hard though. It's like, stand it is. here, do yeah. this, somebody's talking in your ear, all these things, this, 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 oh, and then be yourself. And it's like, that's the last thing on your checklist. Right. It should be the first thing. Right. Yeah. And you're fun. So well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know? And I still think information drives a boat. Yeah. So if your information is good and you're confident in what you're going to say, then you can be yourself. Exactly. So. Exactly. Well, this has been awesome. Come, pl- come back again. Okay. Okay. Anytime. We'll do it again. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. I really appreciate you having me on. We appreciate Thank you taking Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. We are back now. A huge thank you to Shelly Smith. Jill, she is awesome. She's a wonderful woman. She's just, I mean, she is not only incredibly nice and generous with her time, but I just love how she will, you know, help anyone in this business and in uh-huh. this industry, um, you know, not even including the, some of the subjects that she reports on. So uh, she's just wonderful to sit down and have a conversation with. I think the strength that she has, you know, just speaking with her about her battle with cancer and the fact that she's willing to take constructive criticism and continue to get better, even at the stature at which she is and the company which she works with, she's like always growing, getting better, never good enough. I, I, you know, the humility that's there, she's a force to be reckoned with. Just, I mean, I could have talked with her all day long. We, we really could have, and, and she's just, imagine if you're Dylan, her daughter, I mean, because she's just so inspiring and inspirational, and she gets to have her on the, all the time, and her daughter Dylan has done some, uh, worked on some amazing uh, documentaries in the sports world, so she inspired her daughter to be in the industry as well, which is pretty awesome, because she used to, you know, come along on assignments with her, and, and uh, you know, I just think that's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool to take your daughter to work day, but take your daughter to work is meeting Keyshawn Johnson, and... <laughs> Yeah. And Charles Barkley and others like that. So. Right. Pretty cool to be able to go to school and, and uh, talk about your, your meet and greets with the celebs over the weekend. <laughs> Gotta say so. Well, again, we want to thank Shelly for sitting down with us. Thank uh, the people who were able to help us put that together and just the time and everything. It's just, it's been really cool over the last couple episodes to talk with people from all different walks of life that are involved with sports in some capacity and to hear about their journey, why they love it. Um, it's been an honor. We hope you've enjoyed these. uh, You know, we really love bringing you human interest stories from the sports world, and we'll have more for you coming up. All right. Well, for now, we're going to sign off the Off the Beaten Path podcast. Um, But we will chat with you guys next time. We've got a couple people in mind that we want to bring on, and you'll have to just wait and see who it is. But for now, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll talk with you all soon. Thank you. Hope you're having a great summer.